University of Louisville understands that their students come from diverse backgrounds with aspirations, drives, and needs to match. With more than 50 online programs in areas like business, education, social work, engineering, and more, Yulevale provides students with a multitude of career advancing options and flexible coursework. Students can complete their coursework from the comfort of their home or on the go via mobile apps. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. That's louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. And the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the world-famous, world-renowned teaching online podcast. I added that bit, Kelvin. I, I noticed that. Yeah. That's how we know you're not AI. <laughs> That's right. Or maybe <laughs> it's, it's how we doubt that Possibly you are AI. Yeah, because it could be one of those famous hallucinations. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think yeah. of, uh, you know, I was in the marching band at Florida State. Uh, don't, don't hate me. Uh, and it was like the world-renowned Florida State University marching chiefs. And they're world-renowned because way before my time, they had a tour in like Saudi Arabia or somewhere. Uh -huh. So you can say it because... So we can say it, I think. We can say, well, we have listeners in yeah, other countries. Yeah, from around countries. the world. That's right. Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's, it's legit-ish. All we right? need is one in a couple of different countries, and that okay. counts. All yeah. right. Yeah. That's kind of like I, I, I speak a little insert foreign language here because I heard one of those words once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> croissant. Yeah. <laughs> I speak a little French. Yeah. Maybe not. It's, it's Maybe a very not. American take on <laughs> French toast, yeah. French fries. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, speaking of global emphasis, if you don't mind uh, another super shameless uh, plug, uh, I think we mentioned this in our previous episode. There is a global online higher education summit coming up. If you're listening to this episode anywhere close to the time that it releases, uh, on February 19th, 2024, uh, if you can register for free, you can participate in real time, and you know what? If you register, you could even go back and catch the recording after the fact. So maybe, maybe even if you're listening to this way in the future, wouldn't it be interesting to find out if the recording still exists archaeologically? You can go to this website that I'm about to give you, and you can see if it's still there. And that website is onlinehighered.net. Onlinehighered.net. It's free. You should go check it out. From the people who brought you the Sage Handbook of Online Higher Education. That is cool. Free. Um, and yeah, it should be a great event. And uh, it is kind of related to the discussion about world and yeah. online education in different countries. And yeah. yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, that's right. Be there, be square. So, mm. Kelvin, I saw you just taking a sip out, I of, did. Your, out of your mug. Yeah. Um, that is a big mug. Mm. What is in... Well, I was maybe forced perspective, I just saw on the camera. It's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Um, what is in the thermos today, or the mug? Well, in both today, Tom, is a single origin Columbia, but it is from a slightly different area in Columbia and based on a slightly different coffee varietal than we typically associate with fine Colombian coffees. Uh, quite often we, and we've talked about this in podcasts before, uh, Huila 
is kind of the, the dominant uh, area in Colombia where a lot of the coffees come from. And there's usually some kind of a, one of the Bourbon varietal, varietals. But this one is from an entrepreneurial coffee farmer named Daniel Hernandez in, I'm apologizing in advance, <laughs> but I think it's Urao, Antioquia, uh, is an area, and he has a farm called El Tigre. Uh, so this is a, a coffee varietal called uh, Cotura Chiroso. And so you, you have some Coturas, but this, this particular one is, you know, not, not super widely known, and yet it's, it's a Colombian coffee too, and it's a little different than you'd expect, but it's really, really tasty. I like it. Uh, I wonder what you're drinking, and I wonder if you can find a connection in either one of our cups to today's topic. <laughs> well, mine is not thematically connected at all. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I'm having almost the last uh, <laughs> pumpkin spice K cup. <laughs> it's gonna be almost it. time for yeah. the next pumpkin spice season. Almost, by the time I'm close. <laughs> They're almost gone. I think there's one or two left. Um, so that's, yeah, that's not thematically selected. Mm -hmm. Yours, keeping with this, you know, uh, unplanned global theme that we mm, had here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's a lot of Spanish pronunciation. You just worked your way through. Um, butchered, butchered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll admit, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I'm getting. I'm getting the connection today, Calvin. Well, what I was going for, I was thinking of um, this. I mean, Colombia. You'd say, oh yeah, sure, coffee, right? Mm -hmm. But this coffee from Colombia may be a little different than expected. It's kind of reframed expectations, a little, a little new amidst the, the old and the, and the usual. And I thought, well, there's, there's a little of that in today's interview okay. guest topic. You know, we have a little, little of that. So that's what I was going for. All right. I buy it. I get it. So you did mention a guest, mm -hmm. um, and I think you know, kind of uh, today we're uh, we're going to discuss the importance of kind of like what it, you know reframing mm -hmm. institutional data expectations, and uh, we're going to kind of focus on student priorities and sort of the student aspect of it. And to get mm -hmm. that, Kelvin, you. Mm -hmm. I would, I would say recently interviewed, but it wasn't quite as recent as maybe we would have preferred. Yeah. Uh, our yeah. colleague, Dr. Carmen Chan, mm -hmm. who has changed jobs since you, <laughs> <laughs> you interviewed her. So she is now serving as vice provost for Northern Arizona University Online. Um, and at the time you interviewed her, she was senior director of online student success initiatives at the University of Arizona. So she's yep. still in the state of Arizona. Yeah, yeah. She's just gone a little further up the highway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, she was, a, I thought, a very good um, colleague to interview. I mean, as you'll hear, I mean, it's, it's densely packed with thoughtful uh, insights and, and analysis, um, so good stuff, um, for sure. And Carmen, friend of the podcast, Carmen's been in one of our like kind of end of the year community uh, kind of events before. Carmen's been on the on the show, you know. So now she's here like as a as a formal guest. So welcome, Carmen. Glad you're here. 
Yeah, all right. So through the magic of podcast time travel, here is your interview with Dr. Carmen Chan. Hey, Carmen, so good to have you on TopCast today. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Yeah, happy to. Um, I, uh, as we were talking about a while back, I was fascinated um, seeing this uh, conference presentation that you were doing uh, related to kind of rethinking the way that we conceptualize, I guess sort of two things fascinated me. The, the way that we conceptualize our online students, quote unquote, within the, the, the total student body of our institutions, especially online program enrolled students, and then yeah. how we use data to tell a story, you know, about uh, those students in a way that's even-handed. So I wondered if you might first uh, just talk a little bit about the importance of holistically viewing our students, you might say. Yeah, no, thanks so much again for having me. And yeah, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I think particularly because, you know, in my current role at the University of Arizona, you know, we're a large land-grant institution with a very kind of residential student experience. And then being the online division within that otherwise residential community, it often requires a lot of reframing with our campus colleagues about who we serve and how our online and adult learner student populations have unique needs and, and uh, different journeys throughout their time as a student uh, with us at our institution. And so, um, you know, some of the work that I've done in that space in, and that we talked about in, in this recent presentation um, is really this kind of reframing of retention and, and making it, it into a more inclusive metric that actually reflects the enrollment patterns and behaviors of what we see for adult students. Um, and again, particularly within a residential setting where folks are often accustomed to talking about retention, um, looking at first time in college students, traditional residential freshmen and a college-going experience and looking that freshman to sophomore transition, the IPEDS retention numbers or uh, what our campus calls FTFT, some campuses call first time in college. Um, and, and that's an important metric that certainly all of us, you know, in, in higher education have to pay attention to and that we're accountable to for, for institutional reporting. Um, but the challenge is that, you know, with a, a very dynamic fluid population like we have in Arizona online and many other online institutions, our students don't come in only in fall semester and they don't necessarily come in and be a full-time student. And they often are not the, uh, you know, sometimes when they arrive to our institutions, this may be, you know, uh, their second or third institution that they are attending before, you know, coming to our doorstep. And so they're not first time in college, they're a transfer student or, or somebody who brings um, other prior experiences and college credits. And so if our institutional metrics are only, you know, focused on that first time in college population when we're defining success, but that metric doesn't really encompass who we serve and how we serve them, then it really kind of forces us to have to kind of press the conversation and think in a more holistic way. Um, and so, you know, within our institution, uh, we we look at um, reframing our student body and, and talking about our, our online and other uh, uh, student populations with similar characteristics as post-traditional students. So rather than non-traditional. I strongly prefer this terminology of post-traditional. I think it's a much more um, asset-focused and forward-facing view of our college student body. You know, we know when we look across higher education as a whole that um, quote-unquote non-traditional student populations like adult students, online students, transfer students, commuter students, 
those who are paying their way through college and, and, and funding their own education. This is actually the experience of the vast majority of students in higher education. That is not an anomaly. That is the new normal. Um, and particularly in a, in a post-pandemic world where, you know, almost every learner of all ages and stages have been exposed to online learning in some form or fashion over the last few years. It's really about reframing what is the normal now and making sure that we're thinking about that ways that are accessible and encompassing of all, all of these different student experiences. And so within the University of Arizona, when we talk about post-traditional student experiences, you know, we, we really look at measuring our success and, and students' progression really based on the student journey rather than that one-time, once-a-year, 21st-day census snapshot that, that institutions use to measure their institutional success. Instead, we look at, you know, what are the students' goals that they're trying to achieve? How are we helping them to continue to make progress towards their goals and make progression um, and persist towards their goals um, rather than measuring our entire success based off of that one single day snapshot that we know doesn't really encompass the journeys of our students who have to stop in and out or who have to attend part time um, or who are transfer students that otherwise wouldn't have been captured in those metrics the same way. Yeah, that's great. Um, so given that you've had some success in offering a bit of a counter narrative um, underscored with sort of reframed data, and yet there is still in wide use and institution to institution comparison of more traditional uh, framing of data. How do you how do you balance those things? How do you how do you keep like your approach front and center as a as a real viable uh, message? I think it's often about framing the, the the traditional metrics, iPads metrics, alongside the other alternative metrics, you know, and, and being able to help folks understand the uh, benefits and challenges of both ways of measuring a student outcome, which is true for all populations, not just online. Um, you know, what I often remind folks is that we have post-traditional students in all of our campuses and all of our modalities. It's not an online-only problem. It's just that those enrollment patterns are more commonly seen um, for our, our student populations. Um, but within the University of Arizona, you know, I have the opportunity to sit on a number of different uh, committees that are focused on retention and student success. And I often am there to beat the drum and remind folks that there are other ways of looking and measuring this. Um, helping to gently critique or, or, you know, kind of press my colleagues about um, ways that, you know, if the if the conversation tends to, you know, circle on this, you know, first time in, in college or FTFT population, pulling the gaze back to a wider lens and reminding them again that we have these other students that we also need to be thinking about. And, you know, the the good thing about iPads, you know, there's pros and cons again with each of these measures. iPads, you know, it offers you that first year to second year um, snapshot, but they also pay attention to four year and six year graduation rates as well. Um, and so, you know, while our online students uh, who, who may have these other student journeys uh, may may not necessarily uh, be captured as well in that first time in college, uh, first year snapshot. They do certainly count and impact the four year and six year graduation rates. They do certainly impact the transfer graduation rates. Um, and where we actually can have a really great impact on helping to support our campus-based populations as well, who make campus change or switch and choose to, to focus more on an online modality um, as they progress through their student journey because the residential experience for whatever reasons may not be viable for 
for them anymore um, compared to when they originally started. And so, you know, again, pulling people, uh, you know, my colleagues gaze back a little bit wider so that they're not so, you know, focused on a, uh, that kind of particular part of uh, the iPads metrics and, and thinking about the longer term game uh, or, or longer term play that we're that, you know, ultimately here to help make sure the students get across the finish line, not just that they made it to that first year. Um, that's just a stepping stone on, on the journey of ultimately what they came here to accomplish. Um, and so part of it is being at the table and being that reminder and, and you know, helping to, to make sure that they're thinking in those holistic ways. Um, and and my, my colleagues, you know, they humor me in that regard and, and you know, having, uh, you know, built that rapport over many years, you know, I think, you know, they we all collectively understand, you know, we're coming at it from the right place and, and trying to, to do what's right to help support students. Um, but, you know, when it comes to our, our persistence measures where we're able to look at our online students in a little bit more of a micro, uh, a laser focused way, um, where we can look at their enrollment patterns from session to session, from term to term and year to year, um, but, you know, kind of condensing or accelerate or expanding uh, the timeframes. Um, it allows us, you know, we're able to use that as a tool to help predict uh, enrollments as we're working with campus partners when they're trying to anticipate seat demands and things like that. Um, we're able to use that to help modernize some of our systems within the institution uh, that had historically been often built focused on census snapshots as, as kind of the end all be all of, of predicting enrollments. Um, you know, but when we have rolling admissions where we admit students for weeks, even a month or more later after those those snapshots happen uh, at our institution. And so that was a problem originally, but it became an opportunity, you know, right? That challenge was a chance to op update and modernize some of our systems and our student information system, uh, working with our colleagues in the Office of the Registrar so that their reporting was able to capture this other enrollment behavior that, that we're able to facilitate and offer it online. And so it ultimately makes the institution more nimble at looking at student behavior on all of our campuses because we were able to help reframe the way that we look at and track the enrollment patterns um, that you know were driven based off of behaviors that we saw in online, but are true for student populations across the board. Um, so I, I think it's, it's about being at the table and it's about using that challenge as an opportunity to help to reinforce, you know, ways of, of modernizing the way that we think about the student experience, you know, in our case within the institution. Yeah, thanks for that. Speaking of journeys, um, so you've, you've kind of indicated that it's taken a little while, right? You're, you're metaphorically at the table or even physically at the table and reframing, reminding, um, kind of reiterating that messaging about um, this one view of data is not the be all and end all, don't forget, and, and all that. What's that journey been like? I mean, like over how long a period of time has, has this played out? And like, what were some of the initial forays? Mm -hmm. You know, was, was that a little bit like, whoa, hold on, was it a bit more insistent at the beginning and then reminding as you go? Can you just kind of paint a little bit of a picture, especially if, you know, some of us are just beginning to undertake that? Like, you know, how would, how would, how can your journey inform other people's? 
Um, yeah, I, so, you know, the University of Arizona's online campus was launched in 2015. And so I would peg us as a relatively later player in the online space compared to other institutions around the country. Um, and I think that there were some benefits that came with that, you know, and, and of course challenges too. But I think it allowed us to be able to learn from other institutions and really come in with our, you know, an intentionality to building a fully online student experience and working together with colleagues across the institution in order to, to stay stand up this operation from within, uh, as I mentioned, this large, you know, residential and matrixed, you know, a, a university setting. Um, and so, you know, as far as that opportunity of being at the table and, and, and being able to shift the thinking about our online students, you know, it really, I, I've been at the University of Arizona since 2009, and I've I built my career for quite a long time in academic advising and student affairs work. Um, and so I'm fortunate to have, you know, deep connections across our campus and university. I think a lot of times when it comes to helping modernize from within, helping to press and push boundaries and, and helping our institutions think about new ways of doing things. Like we know higher ed tends to be a, a bit of a slow moving behemoth sometimes, especially at, you know, large uh, institutions like this. Um, and so, so much of the work happens through the relationships, the trust, the rapport that we build with colleagues across the institution, and as well as with colleagues at other institutions. Again, learning from what others are doing and how, uh, you know, they were able to accomplish what worked on their campuses and picking and choosing the pieces that that make the most sense um, based off of our institutional settings. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, when it came to starting to shift the conversations about retention and shifting the conversations about, uh, you know, kind of who the student body is within the University of Arizona as a whole as our online division grew, um, I think a lot of it really, it came down to, you know, intentionally ensuring that our online team and team members were plugged into relevant uh, counterparts or committee work and, and working groups and, and other, you know, where the work happens I mean, uh, within the university or where those conversations and relationships are built, helping to ensure that we had a voice at those tables so that when institutional decisions are being made, we ensure that the voice of our online student populations, some of the unique challenges that they undertake are there and represented. And we have an opportunity to, to push back if, if the direction that the conversation is going isn't going to be inclusive. Of, of the needs of our student body, or, you know, at least we can voice those those concerns or, or you know, have an opportunity to be engaged in the decision making as it's happening. Um, and so, you know, that happens across all the different parts of our division. You know, I sit in our online student success team. And, and so that often means I'm, you know, very plugged in with academic advising and student affairs and the registrar and some of these other units that, you know, directly impact the student experience, you know, from matriculation to graduation. But my colleagues that work with our recruitment and enrollment team, you know, are similarly plugged in with the the central uh, admissions and, and recruitment teams. And, you know, same thing with curricular affairs and, and with all these other sort of facets of the university, helping to ensure that, you know, our, our online student body accounts for around 20% of the student body of the University of Arizona. We need to have a seat at the table. We need to ensure that this institution is uh, able to, to help, you know, reflect the needs and, and the experiences of our students at all stages, you know. Of, of their academic journey. Um, and that really happens through that campus engagement and, and that investment in time and relationships. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for that. And, and uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Carmen. Um, can't wait to see you again at uh, some professional development uh, event in the, in the future, but um, 
I'll guess I'll say for Tom, who will join us in the wraparound, and for myself, it's a pleasure having you on TopCast. Thanks so much for having me, Calvin. It was a pleasure to speak with you. So, Kelvin, that was your interview with Carmen Chan. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed listening to that. Yeah, good stuff there, right? I mean, you yeah. can tell. She knows her stuff, Thought has thought deeply about these issues. So many practical piece of, pieces of advice and conceptual pieces of advice. I thought really good. Yeah, you know, it's just maybe it's an own personal bias, right? Like, it feels like so often the people I talk to who kind of are in leadership positions within online uh, organizations have either have kind of come up either through faculty or kind of instructional design mm-hmm. ranks. And mm-hmm. I just really appreciated her sort of student-centered, student services mm-hmm. perspective because yeah. that is yeah. so important. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought that was a nice, fresh way of, uh, of approaching these topics. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, maybe as a, as a way of kind of processing this conversation a little bit, as I think back to it, um, I think there's some, there's like bigger ideas and then more zoomed in ideas. Like, it would be easy to skip past some of the bigger ideas. Like, institution types vary, right? Um, Carmen said right at the beginning, she framed up like her former institution as being uh, primarily like a residential experience and online kind of sits within that, hence the importance of the reframing and kind of remembering, hey, everybody, remember... Uh, the quote-unquote traditional view that's ignoring a lot of other folks and so forth. That might not be the case at some other institution, but I think there's a lot of institutions where Carmen's description probably rings true. Yeah, well, I think for you and me, <laughs> in the yes. kinds of schools that we're sitting in, right. you know, large right. public universities right. that right. have a big footprint. So, I mean, I definitely related to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, and I and the way she sort of described kind of navigating through that kind of a context where, despite the big bureaucratic nature mm-hmm. of, a, mm-hmm. of an institution like that, the... Um, the relationships that are formed mm. are essential to the yeah. kind of getting the work done because it's, yeah. you got to work through people. And so having yeah. the goodwill and the trust that, um, mm-hmm. that, that it may not even be people that report to you, but colleagues in a, in the registrar's office or in some other place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're all going to have to work together and you've got to build this coalition, especially when you're doing big change or implementing something new that may add work to somebody else that's not even yep. in your unit or your reporting line. You know, how do you navigate that? And it's all based on human being relationships. I, and it, you need to be reminded of that once in a while. Like you can't, it's not all just about systems or spreadsheets and things like that. Yep. It's like, you know, pick up the phone or go have coffee with somebody and let's, you know, get to know each other. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that's right. There's maybe two sides of a coin. She said, uh, to your point, many institutions can be, quote, slow moving behemoths, unquote, mm-hmm. uh, at least as far as change and system implementation goes. But then, to your point, exactly right. I I love that tip of, you know, like if you're talking about admissions, then the the people who touch online explicitly ought to be there at the physical or metaphorical table with the the other admissions people and, and so forth. Every, I think of that like Velcro, right? All the little 
multiple points of, of connection. I, I like that a lot. I think yeah. a lot about systems versus people, and there is an interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, as you point out, you need both. You do. But yeah. if, you, if you just have the people, I mean, that's important. It humanizes, but I don't think you scale. No. Systems yeah, or, allow for scale. Nor do you, like, meet sort of the bare business needs of, like, we right. have to have our revenue exceed our expenses or this isn't going to continue. <laughs> that's, that's right. But yeah. if, if all you had was systems without the, the people and the attention and the humanizing, mm, yeah. It, it starts feeling like commoditization, billions and billions served, and right, right. not, you know, right? So both of those things. I mean, I thought that was, that was good that she talked about both of those things. Yeah, and you know, another thing that, that kind of resonated with me, because I, I feel like I get asked this question a lot, too, um, is sort of like, who are the students? What is an online student? Mm. What does it mean to call somebody an online student? So, mm -hmm. like, sometimes I'm asked, like, you know, I'm at a party or I'm meeting somebody, and, oh, you work in online learning at UCF. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, how many online students do you have? I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, what do you mean mm -hmm. by that? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. there's five different ways I can answer that yeah, question. Right. Students who take one or more online, students who are mm -hmm. only online, students who are only online this semester, but mm -hmm. maybe not in every semester, students who are blended. Like, mm -hmm. I could go down the list, right? Yeah. But yeah. I think the thing that, that, maybe is common among all of them is this need for flexibility. So even a traditional student often needs non-traditional flexibility. Yeah. We know at UCF, a huge percentage of our undergraduates work, like more than 20 hours a week, mm -hmm. they, they work. And so that requires a certain amount of non-traditional flexibility yeah, to, that's right. that online learning serves. Even here, um, an institution like U of L that has a deep history and can tilt a, a little residential. I mean, 65% of undergraduates work at least part-time. A little sliver work more yeah. than full-time, right? Yeah. And that's undergraduates. Yeah. Um, so to your to your point, I liked Carmen's framing of post-traditional. I mean, I mean, you can get kind of like, okay, are we buzz speak or whatever? But I think you know, words matter and. Um, post-traditional versus non-traditional, because these days that's more the case than it is not the case. You know, and I think we have to reflect reality. We talked a little bit about post-traditional student framing back in episode 149, and I went and looked, and we do have several good post-traditional student resources, um, research and practice literature that are in the show notes for that episode, so uh, that's, worth a, that's worth a look. Cool. Well, I mean, there's so much more we could we could comment on. Uh, it was a, as you said before that we listened to it. It was deep and rich. Mm -hmm, <laughs> had a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of goodness in there. Um, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, the the coffee is running out, <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe maybe uh, you want to put a a bow on this plane and land it in the box or whatever our metaphor <laughs> is of the day. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll be like uh, I'll be like Amazon Prime. I'll, I'll I'll deliver you an exit. I don't know something some something like that. Uh, perhaps by way of wrapping up, we might say the way we frame data, language, and messaging all matter. By our actions, we validate the experience of post-traditional students and orient our institutions to better serve them with online learning or not. 
<laughs> we either do that or we don't do that. So yeah. let's do that. Let's do that. Yes. Let's let's help our students. What a concept. What yeah. a concept. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kelvin. And uh, thank you, Carmen. Uh, enjoyed listening to the conversation. Until next time, for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya. Thank you.